Envision this. Your patient is a 39-year-old female that presents with hypertension, gross hematuria, or bloody urine, and lower extremity edema. She denies flank pain or dyspnea. On examination, her blood pressure is 152 over 104 millimeters per mercury, and no jugular venous distension, rales, or ascites are detected. Serum creatinine is 2.1 milligrams per deciliter, where normal is 0.7 to 1.3 milligrams per deciliter. You are asked to review a microscopic examination of your patient's urine. Hey, come take a look at this. These red cells in the urine look funny. You tell your team, what's going on? What is the likely etiology of your patient's kidney disease? What further diagnostic testing should be ordered? What initial treatment is likely to be recommended? Welcome to Audio Bricks. This is Ed Barnes breaking down glomerular diseases in your ears. After completing this brick, you will be able to 1. Describe how patient presentation is used to distinguish glomerular diseases from non-glomerular diseases. 2. Differentiate glomerular diseases based on serologic testing. And 3. Explain how various types of glomerular disease are managed. Part 1. How do we recognize glomerular diseases? Glomerular diseases can present in many ways, some of which can be confused with other common diseases such as kidney stones or urinary tract malignancies. Let's first consider how glomerular disease can look a bit different from other conditions. First, let's talk about proteinuria. Heavy proteinuria is unique to glomerular diseases. A finding of more than 3.5 grams of urine protein per 24 hours, usually 4 plus on a urine dipstick, is part of nephrotic syndrome. Seen with glomerular diseases such as diabetic kidney disease, also known as diabetic nephropathy, FSGS, membranous glomerular nephritis, and minimal change disease. More than one gram of urine protein usually indicates renal disease, but it could be glomerular or other diseases such as tubulointerstitial disease or hypertensive nephrosclerosis. Note that normally about three grams of albumin is filtered daily. If the tubules are damaged and cannot reabsorb this filtered albumin, small amounts of protein may be present and detected on urinalysis. An example is Fanconi syndrome, which is diffuse dysfunction of the proximal tubule. Urine protein less than 1 gram, approximately 1 plus on dipstick, is very nonspecific and can be seen in patients without any type of renal disease due to high fever, severe heart failure, sepsis, or severe hypertension. This is because high renal blood flow and high blood pressure can cause increased protein movement across the glomerular basement membrane, even if the glomerular basement membrane is structurally intact. Next, how about hematuria? Hematuria is seen in many glomerular diseases and also in many other conditions such as renal stones or bladder cancer. Several things distinguish the hematuria of glomerular disease. For one, the urinary red blood cells in the glomerular disease are often dysmorphic or abnormally shaped. These RBCs present classically as blebs on the outer sides of the RBC membranes, while those in non-glomerular diseases have a normal shape. Dysmorphic RBCs may be present because of distortion that occurs as the RBC is forced through the damaged glomerular basement membrane. 
In addition, the presence of RBC cast in the urine is very specific evidence that bleeding is coming from the glomerulus. The RBC cast is a cigar-shaped collection of red blood cells and other tubular debris that is encased in a sticky, proteinaceous substance known as Tom Horsfall protein. The bleeding from the glomerulus makes a cast of the renal tubule and then eventually gets excreted into the collecting space and into the urine. These casts can be seen in any of the nephritic diseases. It's important to note that most patients with hematuria do not have a glomerular disease. Let's compare the characteristics of glomerular disease with those of other hematuric disorders. Starting with glomerular disease, patients can present with hematuria with dysmorphic RBC and RBC casts, proteinuria, edema, hypertension, and elevated creatinine. They should be evaluated with serology's complement level and possibly renal biopsy to find the etiology of the glomerular disease. Next, bladder cancer should be considered when the hematuria is accompanied by weight loss and abnormal urinary cytology. Further evaluation should be performed with cystoscopy to visualize the tumor. Next, cystitis can also present with hematuria, where patients usually present with dysuria and have white blood cells and bacteria on urinalysis. Patients with prostatitis present with hematuria, dysuria, pelvic pain, and fever. They usually have a tender prostate on digital rectal exam. They also have white blood cells in the urine and white blood cells are elevated in the serum. Urine culture is also positive. Next, patients with pyelonephritis present with hematuria, dysuria, fever, costal vertebral angle tenderness, also known as CVA tenderness, elevated white blood cells in the serum, and white blood cell and white blood cell casts in the urine. There will also be bacteria present in the urine. Urine culture is also positive. Those patients that have renal cancer usually present with hematuria, weight loss, and CT scans show a renal mass. Trauma to the kidney can also produce hematuria, and those patients can have contusions, flank pain, and fractures. You may not observe RBCs if it is myoglobinuria. Finally, urinary tract stones can produce hematuria with flank pain that may radiate to the groin. These patients can also have CVA tenderness. You can observe urinary crystals, and the urinary concentrations of calcium, urate, and oxalate may be increased and decrease citrate in the urine. CT scan of the abdomen will show stones. Notice that significant proteinuria is a true distinguishing characteristic of glomerular disease. While occasionally present in small amounts of other diseases, significant proteinuria plus hematuria almost always means glomerular disease. Many glomerular diseases present with edema for two reasons. One, Renal sodium homeostasis is altered, and renal reabsorption of sodium increases because water follows sodium. There's an increase in extracellular volume, so edema results. And two, because some glomerular diseases, for example nephrotic disorders, lead to massive loss of albumin in the urine. The serumarcotic pressure drops, and starling forces indicate that more fluid remains in the interstitium. Let's discuss an approach for distinguishing edema and glomerular disease from that seen in other disorders. Glomerular disease usually presents with symptoms of edema with uremia, symptoms like confusion, itching, and decreased urine output. 
that may also have hypertension and elevated creatinine with proteinuria and hematuria. Next, patients with chronic liver disease usually exhibit symptoms and signs of edema, weakness and confusion, jaundice, ascites, small or enlarged liver. Their serum levels of albumin will be decreased, and their prothrombin time, AST, ALT, and bilirubin will all be increased. They can also have bilirubinuria. And patients with congestive heart failure have edema with dyspnea and fatigue. They will also have JVD, tachycardia, pulmonary crackles, and elevated brain natriuretic peptide and possibly mild proteinuria. Let's pause for a quiz. Why do glomerular diseases present with edema? Glomerular diseases present with edema due to renal retention of sodium and loss of albumin, leading to net changes in starling forces that result in fluid retention in the interstitium. Part 2. How do we distinguish the various glomerular diseases? We've seen that glomerular diseases can be classified into categories such as primary or secondary and nephritic, nephrotic, or both. Renal biopsy is critical for diagnosing many of these disorders. But several glomerular diseases are not commonly biopsied. The clinical presentation and course of post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis in children and diabetic kidney disease in adults is so classic, these disorders are diagnosed based on clinical findings rather than biopsy. Minimal change disease is overwhelmingly the leading cause of nephrotic syndrome in children and is very responsive to glucocorticoids. Nephrologists typically treat it without a biopsy and look for immediate response. A biopsy is done only if the child does not respond to treatment. For membranous nephropathy, because of the recent development of the specific diagnostic test for antiphospholipase A2 receptor antibodies, a positive blood test with no evidence of other cause of glomerular disease means that biopsy can be avoided and the diagnosis made. In many cases, patients with suspected glomerular disease are referred to a nephrologist for a possible renal biopsy. But it is good to know how to distinguish the various diseases without histopathologic data. This usually comes in the form of serology testing. Overall, these studies analyze the immune system response to glomerular injury, looking at factors such as complement activation and the presence of autoantibodies. Many glomerular diseases are either caused by antibodies attacking glomerular proteins or are associated with such antibodies. Anti-glomerular basement membrane or anti-GBM antibodies, and anti-GBM disease, also known as good pastures, are causative of glomerular disease and constitute a type 2 hypersensitivity response. More commonly, the antibodies used in diagnosis do not actually cause the disease, but are raised as part of the immune response. Examples include anti-streptolysin O, anti-hyaluronidase A, and other antibodies raised against bacterial antigens and post-streptococcal GN, or streptozyme test. Next, anti-nuclear antibodies, ANA, and anti-double-stranded DNA antibodies in lupus nephritis. Next, anti-neutrophilic cytoplasmic antibodies, also known as C-ANCA, in granulomatosis with polyangitis, 
And finally, anti-neutrophil cytoplasmic antibodies, also known as P-ANCA, and microscopic polyangitis and eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangitis, also known as EGPA. There are also nonspecific antibody elevations. Cryoglobulins are a mix of immunoglobulins and complement that precipitate at less than 37 degrees Celsius. They are seen in a variety of inflammatory infectious diseases, including glomerular disease. Most common is membranoproliferative glomerulonephritis, seen with hepatitis C infection. High serum IgE levels are seen in most patients with EGPA, a form of small vessel vasculitis, but these levels are nonspecific and can be seen in other disorders. High serum IgA levels are seen in 30-40% to 40% of patients with IgA nephropathy, which can give a clue to the diagnosis, but this test is not specific enough to make the diagnosis without a renal biopsy, so most clinicians do not use it. In EGPA, elevations in blood eosinophil count of greater than 10% are supportive of the diagnosis. Low serum complement levels reflect complement activation as part of the immune response in glomerular disease. These are most often seen in lupus nephritis, membranoproliferative glomerulonephritis, also known as MPGN, and post-infectious nephritis. Because complement is consumed in these conditions, its levels tend to be inversely related to disease activity. Let's stop for a quiz. In regard to glomerular disease, which commonly tested antibody is causative of the disease? Anti-GBM antibodies are causative of anti-GBM disease, also known as Goodpasture syndrome. Part 3. How do we manage glomerular diseases? Treatment has several goals. First is to cure the disease if possible. If a cure is not possible, the second goal is to slow down its progression to kidney failure and need for renal replacement therapy, i.e. transplant or dialysis. The third goal is treatment of all symptoms and complications. Let's discuss disease cure a little further. A few of these disorders are self-limited and require no treatment other than curing the underlying cause. For example, curing the infection in post-infectious GN due to ongoing staphylococcal infection is the treatment. Definitive treatment of primary glomerular disease is possible in only of a few of these conditions and works best in minimal change disease. For most disorders, treatment involves immunosuppressive drugs such as prednisone and cyclophosphamide. Depending on the severity and chronicity of the disease, patients can have full, partial, or no remission with immunosuppression. Outport syndrome does not respond to immunosuppressive drugs, so treatment is only supportive. Let's move on to slowing the progression of glomerular disease. Several drugs are used to slow the progression of glomerular disease. Angiotensin-converting enzyme, or ACE inhibitors, and angiotensin receptor blockers, or ARBs, are used in glomerular diseases that have associated proteinuria. They control hypertension, and these inhibitors of renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, or RAAS, lower intraglomerular hydrostatic pressure and reduce proteinuria, often by 50% or more, reducing progressive renal damage. Separate from RAAS inhibitors, 
Tight hypertension control is essential, often requiring multiple drugs. New guidelines say that all patients with glomerular disease should have their blood pressure lowered to a normal cutoff for age. For most adults, this means less than 130 over 90 millimeters per mercury. How do we provide supportive care for those patients that we can't cure or slow their progression? Most patients with chronic glomerular disease will develop signs and symptoms that coincide with the decline in glomerular filtration rate. As with most forms of chronic kidney disease or CKD, supportive care includes controlling electrolyte problems such as hyperkalemia, metabolic acidosis, hypocalcemia, and hyperphosphatemia, reducing serum lipids, treating anemia with erythropoietin and iron. Some patients will progress to end-stage kidney disease and require renal replacement therapy, also known as dialysis or transplantation. This is why detecting and treating these diseases early is important. Let's stop here for another quiz. How do ACE inhibitors slow the progression of glomerular disease? ACE inhibitors slow the progression of glomerular disease by reducing blood pressure, reducing intraglomerular pressure, and reducing proteinuria. Part 4. Putting it all together. Let's take some time breaking down the important characteristics of the various glomerular diseases. Let's start by investigating the conditions that present majorly as a nephrotic syndrome. First, Amyloidosis has key associations with multiple myeloma and chronic infections. Patients usually present with chronic heart failure and fractures. Next, diabetic kidney disease has an association with diabetes mellitus and they have an elevation of their hemoglobin A1c. Those patients that have FSGS may have an association with an HIV infection. Membranous glomerulonephritis is associated with cancer hepatitis B and C, systemic lupus erythematosus, also known as SLE, and NSAIDs. Minimal change disease has an association with lymphoma and NSAID use. Moving on to those conditions that present majorly as a nephritic and nephrotic syndrome. Let's start with IgA nephropathy. This disease process has an association with a concurrent viral upper respiratory infection and the IgA nephropathy associated with henoxolone and pulpura, or HSP, present with pulpura, joint pain, and abdominal pain. Next, lupus nephritis has an association with SLE, and their serology is positive for ANA and anti-double-stranded DNA and a low complement level. The systemic signs include skin rashes, joint pain, and hematologic abnormalities. Membranoproliferative glomerulonephritis, or MPGN, has an association with hepatitis C, and the serologic testing can be positive for cryoglobulins and a low serum complement level. Finally, let's explore those conditions that present majorly as nephritic syndromes. Anti-GBM disease have patients with positive serology for anti-GBM antibodies, and they also have lung symptoms. Next, eosinophilic granulomatosis with polyangitis, or EGPA, is associated with asthma and allergies. Serology may be positive for eosinophilia and P. anca, and they have symptoms of fever, lung disease, 
gastrointestinal, cardiac, neurologic, eye, and skin disorders. Those patients with granulomatosis with polyangitis have serologies positive for C. inca, and their systemic symptoms include upper respiratory, lung, and skin disorders. Hereditary nephritis present with varying degrees of blindness and sensorineural deafness. Finally, post-infectious GN is associated with strep A and staph infections. Their serologic studies will be positive for ASO, antihyaluronidase antibodies, and a low serum complement. Be mindful, any of these diseases that present mainly with nephritic syndrome may also present with nephrotic syndrome, especially lupus nephritis, IgA nephropathy in adults, and MPGN. And that brings us to the end of our discussion on glomerular diseases. Now, let's recap to see if we've completed our goals. First, are you able to name three distinguishing features of glomerular disease? Proteinuria, hematuria, and varying degrees of edema are three distinguishing features of glomerular disease. Next, can you name the three glomerular diseases that may present with a low serum complement level? Membranoproliferative glomerulonephritis, lupus nephritis, and post-infectious glomerulonephritis may present with a low serum complement level. Finally, are you able to name the three main goals of therapy of glomerular diseases? Our three main goals of therapy include disease cure, slow the progression, or supportive care. And that's it. Armed with your newfound knowledge of glomerular disease, let's get back to the patient from the beginning of this episode. Your patient is a 39-year-old female with hypertension, gross hematuria, and lower extremity edema, and an elevated serum creatinine. What is the likely etiology of your patient's kidney disease? What further diagnostic tests should be ordered? And what initial treatment should be recommended? Those funny-looking cells are dysmorphic red cells, the resident says. Normal red cells become malformed as they pass through the damaged glomerulus, she continues, and it all fits together. In the presence of hypertension, gross hematuria, edema, and dysmorphic red cells in the urine, a presumptive diagnosis is made that your patient's renal dysfunction is due to glomerular disease. A 24-hour urine protein is ordered which shows 4.2 grams. While further diagnostic testing is discussed with the nephrology consultant, including a renal biopsy, medication is initiated to control her blood pressure. And that's it for our show. Make sure to like and subscribe if you like what you hear, and remember, your feedback helps us to improve. You can enjoy the full brick experience online at www.usmole-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. So go check that out if you haven't already. Until next time.